0: All of these numbers, they, they're very important because it's all involved in God's timing. It's all involved in God's program. As the Bible has prophesied, there are many events that point to his soon coming. We've been talking about those things. Here Daniel is. This is going back some 350 years before the time of Jesus Christ. Uh, Israel was brought into captivity because of their rebellion against God. God had promised that he would raise up his servant Nebuchadnezzar to bring them into captivity because of their failure to obey God. And uh, as a result of that, they were in captivity as promised by Jeremiah for 70 years. And Daniel is recognizing now that it's been 70 years, Lord, uh, are you going to honor your word? I wouldn't blame you if you didn't keep your word, because I realize that we are people filled with iniquity and ungodliness, and we don't deserve to be brought back to the homeland. But Lord, uh, would you please forgive us? Would you forgive me? Would you forgive us? Would you forgive our sins? And while he's praying... As we talked about Sunday night, suddenly the angel Gabriel comes down and touches him. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, the Lord is now revealing to him what he's going to do. And God is doing it through the angel Gabriel. And so we're going to begin reading at verse number 20. We'll read down to verse number 24. Sunday night, I'll have some timeline a, a timeline for you, and we're going to get into Daniel's 70th week. Very interesting study there, but tonight we just want to look down to verse number 24, beginning with verse number 20. Why don't we go ahead and show some reverence to reading of the Scripture by standing, and we'll just have you stand long enough to read this passage of Scripture. I will pray, and then I won't keep you for no longer than a couple hours, okay? In uh, verse number 20, and while I was speaking and praying, And notice, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, that's Mount Zion, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, interesting, he refers to Gabriel as the man, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. Well, in other words, while he started praying, God had given Gabriel the commandment. And so I am come to show thee, or as we see here, to shew thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Now here it is, seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to do what? to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and then finally to most and to anoint the most holy. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless our time together. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so here, while Daniel is praying, he is touched by an angel. Someone wrote some stories about that, and there's a series of movies called Touched by an Angel, but they weren't touched by the angel Gabriel, and so he had been touched by this angel Gabriel before, and uh, he was told before that he was greatly beloved, It's interesting that God has given angels to minister over us. Angels are given charge over us, as we see in Psalms 91, verse number 11. You have an angel that's been given charge over you, but many times more than just one angel. We find that angels are encamped round about us in Psalms 34, verse number 7. We learn that angels are ministering spirits that are sent by God to watch over us, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 14. And uh, you'd be surprised to know how much demonic beings that are out there in the world, that are out there kind of floating around, they have uh, power to influence people whose hearts are not stayed upon the Lord. They have power to convince people to do evil and wicked things. And so they are out there, and they have power to destroy. We read the story there in 2 Kings chapter 6 concerning the enemy that was coming in to destroy Israel. And Elijah was praying, and and his servant was fearful of what was going to happen. And Elijah prayed and asked the Lord to open his servant's eyes so that he could see what God was providing to protect the children of Israel. And so we read that uh, he said to his servant, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. We understand that there are a lot of enemies out there that want to attack us, but uh, we have more with us than than they do with them. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And what's interesting is Elijah prayed and said to the Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes, the eyes of this young servant, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. (laughs) I like that. Sometimes, uh, you know, you serve God, and you become a powerful servant of the Lord, and you get the attention of the devil, remember, <clears throat> uh, what was it, the, uh, oh, I'm trying to think uh, of those uh, seven sons of Skevia. that, uh, I don't know, Scevia is a, a sugar, isn't it? But anyway, uh, they tried to cast out some devils and, and the devil said, uh, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? <laughs> and they attacked him, you know. And so you don't know how many is out there that want to destroy you. Um, they are by the thousands. Remember uh, that one man possessed of devils. How many devils did he have in him? Legions of devils. And uh, how, how many pigs uh, were, ended up being possessed by those devils? Someone help me out. There was, I can't remember. I, that's why I'm asking you. Wasn't there like two or 3,000? And no self-respecting pig would have anything to do with the devils, you know. So they all committed suicide. Remember that. So <clears throat> they're out there, and they're out there to influence you. And they were there to try to dis- try to discourage and pull down Daniel. And by the way, these demons sometimes can hinder angels. Remember, Gabriel had to wanted to come and share something more with Daniel. We read that over there in. in uh, Chapter 10, and, and we get the story that while Daniel was praying uh, and, uh, and, and Gabriel was trying to get there, he was hindered by the princess of Persia and the princess of whatever, I can't remember. But it's not talking about those kings, it's talking about these spiritual princes. But Michael, the archangel, came and fought for me, he said. So they're out there. So while Daniel is praying, he learns that he is greatly beloved. You know, there's somehow God has ways of letting us know that he's pleased with us when we're spending time with him. You know, you're, you're, not, going to, you're not going to know that special intimate relationship that God wants to have with you unless you spend time with him. Jesus said, my sheep know me, and I follow them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. So do you know him, and does he know you? If he knows you, then you're going to have the Spirit of God living in you. The Spirit of God is going to speak to your heart. He's going to convict you. He's going to prompt you. He's going to give you peace. He's going to give you assurance. He will even let you know that He loves you. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that when He does that, then we can't help but cry back and say, Papa, Papa, I love you, because we're loved of our Heavenly Father. And we have to have that special relationship before we can experience that, and that can't happen until you just get alone spend time with the Lord. It's just something interesting when you spend time with your wife and you get alone, and you 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 get away from all the the crowd and the hassles, and away from all the children, and you just spend some time together, and you get into that special intimate relationship where you're transparent with each other, and and yet you still love one another, uh, and that is true with the Lord. He wants us to spend time with Him. He wants us to be transparent with him and he wants us to share our heart with him and when we do those things he begins to uh, allow us to know that he loves us by a special embrace that only you can experience no one can experience it for you it's hard to really describe you just have to be there and experience when you have that wonderful relationship with God and all of a sudden you sense the love of God embracing you and you just want to say, God, I love you. I don't know if you've ever been there. I hope you have been there. So while Daniel is praying, God sends Gabriel to reveal to him a 490-year timeline. We read in verse number 24, 70 weeks. We won't get into all the discussion concerning how they came up with the idea and the understanding that those 70 weeks is in reference to 490 years. We take one of those weeks and we can divide it into time, times and half times. and We see later on that just that one week, that 70th week, the last half of that week, by the number of days that God has given to us equate to three and a half years. So it doesn't really take a a scholar or someone that might consider themselves to be a theologian to figure out that each one of those weeks is in reference to a seven-year period. And so we'll get more into that as we get into uh, this study, but right now we want to move very quickly into what he has to say concerning uh, what what is going to be fulfilled notice there are seven important conditions that must be determined for Messiah to reign here upon the earth and first of all let me just say it needs to be determined that God is not speaking to the church here he's speaking to Israel and his Amen. and and their city Jerusalem. The entire prophecy is centered around God's people Israel i, I You know, these replacement theology people that somehow put the church there and say that Israel's been cut off forever. God has divorced himself from Israel. He's never going to bring Israel back. Uh, Romans chapter 11 uh, uh, will only make sense if you allow me to spiritualize on it. That's pretty much what they're trying to tell you. So you got to listen to me. Don't listen to Paul. You listen to my interpretation. When you, <clears throat> when you start listening to people like that, then you better run. It needs to be line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. The Word of God is to be taken literally. We believe in what is called a literal interpretation of God's Word. And so therefore, if we take the Bible literally, we understand that this prophecy is in reference to God's people Israel. It involves 490 years, and in those 490 years, God has, and he will, because he has sealed this promise. When God seals that promise, that is the assurance that God will do it, and God is going to fulfill it. And uh, when Jesus Christ was cut off, and their temple was destroyed— In order for that 70th week to begin, the temple has to be once again rebuilt. But there's been an interruption between the 69th and the 70th year, and that interruption is called the church. Because of Israel's rebellion, because their rejection of their Messiah, they were cut off, but not forever, according to Romans chapter 11. As Daniel prophesied concerning the times of the Gentiles, eventually it will come in. When it comes in, when the fullness of the times of the Gentiles come in and God is ready to begin Daniel's 70th week, then they once again will be brought back into their homeland. They once again will reestablish temple worship. They will build their temple. The Antichrist will make some kind of peace with them. Three and a half years into Daniel's 70th week, the Antichrist will go into the temple He will declare himself to be God. There you have the abomination of desolation. And from Daniel chapter 12, you have the very number of days that are numbered for when Messiah comes and sets up his kingdom. And so with the book of Daniel, we have the entire spectrum. So first of all, we have 70 weeks that are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. These events will be fulfilled through God's people Israel and their capital city Jerusalem. Remember, while Daniel was praying in chapter 9, verse number 16, we saw Sunday night where Daniel prayed, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city Jerusalem the holy mountain, or thy holy mountain, which is Mount Zion. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. One day God is going to lift that reproach. And God has promised through the Prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31 beginning with verse number 31 through verse number 33 is going to establish his new covenant with his people Israel. But if you read carefully from the book of Hebrews beginning with Hebrews chapter 7 all the way through Hebrews chapter 10 giving special attention to Hebrews chapter 8 you'll find that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he established that new covenant, but Israel rejected that new covenant. And so God had turned to the Gentiles, and he even gave us our own apostle called Paul. But what is interesting is God in his mercy and in his grace has told us to not be boastful. If God cut them off, he's able to graft them in. And when he grabs them in, he takes us out. That's called the rapture. Anyway, I don't know if you're with me on that. I may have lost a couple of you, but that's, that's God's program. Israel is going to be used of God in the latter days, and we're seeing it being fulfilled even now. And so we see, secondly, that once it is determined, What God is going to do with His people, with His holy city, then He will finish the transgression. Now what does it mean to finish the transgression? That means that there are 70 weeks that will be established entirely to bring about the new order that God wants to bring upon this earth. And that is His millennial reign when He comes to set up His kingdom. But in order for that to happen, the rebellion of man has to be finished. And that rebellion isn't finished until God is through spanking the world very hard. And that's Daniel's 70th week. That's what we call Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble really involves the last three and a half uh, years of Daniel's 70th week. Man is certainly rebellious. You read over there in Revelation chapter 9, verse number 21, 20 and 21, he's not going to repent of anything. So finally, uh, God will bring them to complete and total submission. But he's going to do it with a rod of iron. And so this is what he's in reference to when he talks about to finish the transgression, the 70 weeks At the end of those 70 weeks, he will establish a a brand new program and bring an end to the rebellion of mankind. And then thirdly, to make an end of sin. To make an end of sins, plural, meaning that these 70 weeks will establish a new and redeemed world where sin will be completely restrained doesn't mean that sin will no longer be present during the millennial reign it'll be restrained someone sins they simply die and so they'll be brought under rule by a rod of iron and there will be mortal people living upon planet earth and some will live a thousand years some will only live a hundred years because those that live only a hundred years have have sin and God restrains sin he will not allow sin to continue to move forward so they'll be dealt with and they'll be dealt with quickly they won't be able to say the devil made me do it because he is chained up in the bottomless pit the antichrist and his false prophet are two men that they don't go to the great white throne judgment they're cast alive at the coming of Jesus Christ into the lake of fire And so Jesus Christ will restrain sin and therefore we understand he will make an end of sins by restraining sin. And eventually when Satan is turned loose for a thousand years and there is the sin of rebellion against his kingdom by a number of people at the end of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ that is as the sand of the seas then God will completely destroy this planet and He'll create a brand new planet and then we go into the eternal kingdom. And once we go into the eternal kingdom, there'll be no more mortal men. There'll be no more fallen nature. Everyone there will be in glorified bodies and for all of eternity, sin will be remembered no more. And then fourthly, we understand to make reconciliation for iniquity. Meaning that within these 70 years, God will establish reconciliation for man's iniquities and for man's sins. How how will He do that? Through His justice and through His righteousness by taking our sins and paying for those sins upon the cross. And there, upon the cross he will bear our iniquities. This was accomplished when Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but was buried and rose again. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and verse, or chapter 5 and verse number 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the Atonement. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, through Calvary, has made reconciliation for iniquity. And then fifthly, to bring in everlasting righteousness. This means a new order of society will be brought in by Messiah according to what we see in Isaiah 26 and verse number 9, so thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. We see over there in Zechariah chapter 14 that there'll be bells of righteousness hanging from the robes of men. There'll be joys of righteousness and joys of salvation all throughout the millennium, there as we read in in Isaiah chapter 12. It'll be a beautiful time. And then fifthly, or sixth number six. (laughs) to seal up the vision and prophecy. Now, this is important. What does that mean? Well, to seal means as being regarded as a confirmation or a guarantee of something that has been promised. It means to include or to establish or to secure something in a definite way excluding the possibility that it could ever be lost in other words God's Word is forever settled in heaven what God has said here God will do it's been sealed God is going to do it there is coming a tribulation period it's been sealed God has assured us it's going to happen he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth he's going to reign for a thousand years It's been sealed, it's been settled, he's going to do it. God has put his seal upon his word. You know, if you look at the the original King James authorized 1611 version, you'll see that there are seven seals on the back of that book. The translators understood that this is the seal of God. It is a book that has been sealed by God. And you and I have been sealed by the word of God. You understand that the Word of God, I don't have time to get into this, but we see there by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans that the Word of God was before the Bible was ever put on a scroll or on papyri or written on a stone. God spoke according to the scriptures unto Pharaoh before the Word was ever written by Moses. God has spoken way back in the Old Testament. We see it several times by scriptures before they were ever pinned down. That is because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. In fact, uh, I think I text Pamela, what was those scriptures I text you? I can't remember the reference. I remember one was over in Romans. But yeah, you, know, you might want to write write those down. You have them? Can you pull them up real quick? I left my cell phone in there. We'll wait on Pamela here, huh? I sent you this morning a text. I was doing a study on scripture. Maybe it was yesterday. You can't find them. Oh. Well, anyway, it's in there on my. Body. I know I I I sent it to somebody. Mm-hmm. I'll give them to you later, but anyway. Uh, Anyway, by the way, Brother Jerry, it was something I picked up from that video you sent me. Very good video. Thank you for that. I may show that sometime. Word of God is an interesting book. But we need to understand that there are many books out there that are counterfeits. Be careful of them. And then uh, we understand number seven, to anoint the most holy. What does that mean, to anoint the most holy? It it means the most holy place. You see, Jesus Christ, when he died, he was buried, and then the third day he arose From the dead and then 40 days later he ascended into heaven and when he ascended into heaven he remains there as our high priest but before he went there as our high priest he had to go there soon after he was crucified to anoint the holy place with his own blood Now, I want you to see something. Let's take our Bibles, let's look over to the book of Hebrews. We know that all things are purified by the blood, and without the blood, nothing can be cleansed according to God's word. We understand that. And so, when we go over to Hebrews chapter 9, let's go there for a moment, if I can find my way over there. Hebrews chapter 9, there in Hebrews chapter 9, let me take a look at my notes here so I don't read a bunch of scripture and keep you here too long. But in in Hebrews chapter 9, let's go with verse number 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as... The first tabernacle was yet standing. The first tabernacle, which is in reference to the temple, was a figure of uh, the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that cannot make him that did the services perfect as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But reformation is what? It's in the time when Jesus Christ came into the world, went to the cross, died for our sins, was buried. Three days later he arose After he had risen, he had met with Mary, but he said, Touch me not, for I have not ascended unto your Father and unto my Father. Later he ascended unto his heavenly Father. And he went into the Holy of Holies, and it was purified with his own blood so that you and I would have access into the very presence of God. And so all of this is a part of the program that God has laid out for Daniel. Now notice, if you would please, verse number 9 again, which was a figure, that means an allegory or a picture or a type, for the time then present in which we're offering both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the services perfect, pertaining to their conscience, which stood in only in meats and drinks. But Christ, verse number 11, "...being come a high priest of good things, to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He did what? He entered in once into the what? The holy place. Having obtained what? For us now, look at verse number twenty-four to save time. Seeing then, verse number twenty-four. <clears throat> um, you know, I didn't want to do this, but let's go ahead and read verse number twenty. Saying, <clears throat> the high priest when they would offer of up blood, saying, "This is the blood of the, the two or <laughs> Saying, "This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you." Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. So when the high priest would go into Holy of Holies, not only that He shed blood for the people and sprinkled them with blood, but He went into the holy place and He sprinkled everything in there with blood. So He goes on to say in verse number 23, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands which are the figures of the true, but in the heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Therefore, because Christ has entered into the heavens and He has prepared a place for us, we can now come boldly to the throne of grace and we can obtain mercy and we can find grace in our time of need. The Bible makes that very clear. The Bible is very clear on these things. And so, therefore, we can come into God's presence. Jesus Christ was that body that was offered up for our sins. We read over in verse number 22 of Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look there for a moment. I should have marked these down, but... Let's back all the way up to verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast a profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You see, every time we assemble here together, we're practicing what's going to happen when we enter into the very presence of God. By the way, the church should be a holy place. It should be a place to where it is set apart unto God. That's why he says in verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Because we know that this is a place where we can come, where uh, God meets with us and we enter into His presence. We understand the church is the temple of the living God. And we as individuals, uh, we are temples of God, but when we come together collectively as an assembly, as local New Testament believers, we picture the entire body of Christ, and Christ meets with us. And so we enter into a sanctuary, we enter into a place where God is there and God meets with His people, for where two or more gather together, the Lord is there with them. And so Jesus Christ has entered into heaven, and one day you and I, as we practice every Sunday morning coming to this place, as we go to our local New Testament churches, we're letting the world know, we're letting our neighbors know that one day we're going to be caught up out of this place, and we're going to walk into the temple of God, into the very presence of a holy God, so He says that we can come boldly. By the way, did you know you're already there? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And if you were to die this very moment, you'd open your eyes and realize where you've been the whole time. How exciting is that? Well, there's a lot more that goes into this little passage of Scripture than what meets the eye. All of this would be established through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the New Testament. The Old Testament was nothing more but a shadow or a picture of the good things that were to come. Just very quickly, if you'll look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1, for we read in verse number 1, the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comer thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshiper once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. But praise the Lord, the one who is written in the volume of the book. Notice verse number 7, This said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus Christ come to do the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? That He died for us. That He be buried. That He rose, rise from the grave, and He stand in heaven in that holy place, and make an atonement for your sins. Notice what is said in verse number ten, by which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest standing daily, ministering and offering, oftentimes the same sacrifice, can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down at the right hand of God. Notice verse number 14. For by one offering he had perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and their minds, and I will write Them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Wow. So there's no other place you can go for remission of sin. You see, we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we go back to Daniel chapter 9, we read that the most holy place is what the whole program is all about. Jesus Christ came into this world to establish righteousness for you and I so that he could go stand in that holy place. and Make an atonement for your sins. It was not only important that he die for your sins and that he was buried, but it's also important that he is risen and that he stands before the Heavenly Father. You see, he's doing his job right now for you and I, thanks to Calvary. Uh, these people that believe they could lose their salvation believe that Jesus Christ can't do what he promised that he would do there in the holy place. Okay. The Apostle John said that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. There's no way you can propitiate your sins. The word propitiation means to cover or to atone your sins. There's no way that you can do that. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Amen. Well, anyway, we'll have to stop right there. I've run out of things that I can think of to say, so we're not <laughs> just joking. Come back Wednesday or Sunday night. Uh, I want to help you see how important Daniel chapter nine is, and uh, why it is that uh, we have this this gap between Daniel's 69th week and Daniel's 70th week, and how close we are to that 70th week finally being connected with the 69th week. You say, well, it's been a long time. Well, you know, with God, time doesn't exist. And he just took a little bit of break between those two, uh, those two, I uh, might call them seconds there. Uh, to allow us an opportunity but God is once again going to engraft this program with this we'll mark it down exciting things are going on heavenly father thank you for your word we ask dear heavenly father that you'll bless uh, and strengthen each one of us in the faith and knowing that we have an awesome savior and went to a cross and paid uh, the perfect sacrifice for our sins providing for us eternal redemption, giving to us an everlasting inheritance, sanctifying us forever. Thank you, dear Lord, for that wonderful salvation.